0: Psalm 32, I'm going to read through it, okay guys? The Psalm of David. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he trust in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Amen. The word of the Lord. Um, I have to make a confession. This is a psalm written by David, King David, to be precise. And um, I look at it and initially, when I first started reading this psalm years ago, I'd say, wow, a psalm written by a dirty, rotten scoundrel. And If you don't look at it from the point of grace, you'll keep thinking that. Because if you do know David's life, it was not something to brag about. In fact, it used to bother me when I read in the Bible that he was a man after God's own heart. I used to think to myself, how can that be? Do we know the story? If you go to 2 Samuel 11 and 12, I'll just summarize it, but if you want to read it on your own. It was a time when men went off to war. Armies were conquering nations. And in this case, the greatest nation of them all was Israel, because it had the great King David, who had God's favor. But this one time, he sent Joab off to do war with all his warriors and they were conquering. And one day, in his time of leisure, that tells you what leisure will do to you, okay? In his time of leisure, <coughs> he was walking up on the roof of this palace. If you've been to a, a children's Sunday school, you've heard this st- study. And, and he's just walking around up there and, and beholds a young woman on another rooftop. Apparently very beautiful. And lust sinks into his heart amongst other sins. Okay, guys? So he tells one of his assistants, hey, go get that girl for me. And he did, and he made her his. Lied with her in intimacy and got her pregnant. So I think he's an adulterer, he's a liar, and he's a murderer. Yet, he's a man after God's own heart. So what happens? She becomes pregnant. And to cover his first sin, he does some conniving, right? He, by this time, he already knows that this woman is actually married or belongs to Urias, one of his main warriors. Okay? And... He says, where is Urias? Well, he's off off in battle. Well, have him come in. I know they're victorious. Have him come in. He thought to himself, I'll have him come home for vacation. He'll seek refuge with his wife. He'll lie with his wife. And when people find out that she's pregnant, they'll assume that it's Urias' own child. But little did he know right, that Urias was a man of higher integrity than he was. He refused. How can I come home and lie with my wife when my men are sitting here tattered, tired, beaten for more? I'm going to sleep outside with them. So uh, it didn't work out for David. (coughs) He tried once more, same result. Man held his integrity. Finally... He talks to the men up on the front lines and says, when Uriah goes to fight, put him on the front lines. Put him where the action is the heaviest. And he knew what was going to happen. He got killed. And being the just and moral man that he was, when Uriah was killed, he took Bathsheba as his own wife. And I stop and think, wow. A man after God's own heart. It angered me when I was a young Christian to even think that. To hear people say, I wish I was a man of faith like David. I used to think, David? Maybe Joseph. You know? Maybe Moses, Paul, even Peter. For goodness sakes. But David? Because we don't have that point of grace perspective. We're not looking at it correctly. I wasn't. As a matter of fact, David, when confronted and he was asked, who would you want to be judged by, God or man? He obviously said God because he knew God was merciful. Because as men, we condemn. Yes or no? I do. I do. I'm learning not to. I'm learning that the Lord God will use who he wants, when he wants because he wants. It's not how special you are or how moral you are. Because we all fall short. Every one of us. We all fall short. None of us qualifies in the area of being God's servant. Not a one. Not a one. I happen to think Pastor Manny's a pretty cool dude. The most godly man I've ever met. But, by the light of Jesus' blood, none of us, none of us, prior to that blood, were qualified. He submits himself to God. He sought God the way David does in this psalm. So let's go back to the psalm. And just to add a little bit to that story... We all know that perhaps David would have never confessed, but he was found out, right, by the prophet Nathan. Prophet Nathan says, hey, David, I have this situation. There's a man, two men as a matter of fact, a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had all the cattle and sheep that he could use. The poor man, all he had was one little ewe lamb, a little female lamb. He loved her so. As a matter of fact, she slept with him and his kids. She was a, home, a pet, part of the family. And what do you think this guy did? The rich man, when he had a visitor come in from out of town, instead of killing one of his own sheep or cattle, he took the poor man's sheep, the love of the family, and he sacrificed it, and he killed it. David, what do you think of that man? That man should be killed twice over. And that's when it hit him. And that's when it hits us. When we judge men like David, and we think back on our own sins, and we say, wow, wow. What was I thinking? It's about grace. It's a grace thing. It's not a religious thing. It's not well, how, how well you perform, it's how well you submit. Amen? So now, reading this psalm, I start to learn why David is called a man after God's own heart. Just keep in mind the perspective. What he has now confessed it's been approximately, they say, a year since his dastardly deeds, since his sins. And he comes to this realization. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. David is realizing something. He's been forgiven. Praise God. How many have been forgiven? First lesson in Christianity, right? First lesson, that gift, that grace, that sacrifice on the cross. And you know what's interesting about this is he says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. You guys know what a transgression is as compared to a a normal sin, an incidental sin? A transgression is knowing a law and deliberately, out of your own free will, breaking it. Do you think David knew the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Don't lie. you think he knew? Of course he knew. That's why he's confessing completely. He's saying, Lord, I know your ways, yet I went against them. Man, I wish my kids would come to me and say that one's way. And when they were, when they were small, it was, it, was, it was hilarious. I'd come home, something would be broken, a window, you know, kids and baseballs, right? And I'd come home and I'd say, mijo, who did this? I don't know. I'd ask the other one, mijo, who did this? I don't know, dad. And after several years of hearing that, I'd say, One of these days, I'm going to find out who I don't know is, and that guy's in trouble. But could you imagine if they had realized that every time they did that, they were transgressing against their own dad by lying to his face? And I had this policy at home while raising my kids that I would take everything at face value and accept it as a truth until they confessed it to be a lie. Um... It made them honest, man, but man, I suffered for it. I suffered for it. In the same way, the Lord must be totally frustrated (coughs) and disappointed with us in the way we, we transgress his law. But he realizes, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. His transgression is forgiven. That deliberate sin How many of you would forgive someone who's stealing you, right in your, stealing from you right in your face, pickpocketing you as you're watching them? Would you forgive them? Would you forgive that man that gloats about the fact that he's been with your wife? A, a deliberate transgression against you? And would you just wipe it off the slate? That's what David is realizing here. He's saying... I transgressed against you. I deliberately sinned against you. You forgave me my sins, my transgressions, and you covered them. That means he saw them no more. I'm starting to see, little by little, why he's called a man after God's own heart. He's starting to understand God. Not not out of convenience sake, but because he's actually confessing the whole sin. He's not saying partial sin and hoping the Lord will forget it. No, he's he's coming clean. He says, I transgress, Lord, and you forgave me. Blessed is a man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. What does that mean? <clears throat> that means if our sins were in an account and our guilt was in an account they won't, they won't be imputed they won't be held against us we won't be charged for them what do you mean, no penance? can I at least do 50 push-ups perhaps? or something to erase that? no, no need I'm not holding it against you. It's not on your account anymore. Right? It's been wiped clean. The debt is no longer there. And he says, blessed is that person in whose spirit is no deceit. He's saying, I've been blessed because I didn't try to fool God. I've been blessed because I was up front. I confessed everything to him. I was clear with him. And for that reason the Lord's blessed me. And I realize that and I'm thankful. Are you guys thankful for being restored? For being given a new opportunity? Amen. The Lord's good, guys. Verse 3. This It comes down to the nitty-gritty. He's telling us what he felt like here. He said, When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning... All the day long. Uh, Before coming to the Lord, I would attend a a Pentecostal church with my wife. Same church where I accepted the Lord. And uh, I'd go in there every Sunday after worship, about 45 minutes into the sermon just to say I had gone. But there was unconfessed sin in my life. So every time I went, I got a little bit of a fix, and I kind of felt better, right? The religious thing. I kind of felt better. But there was, there was something inside me that groaned, that couldn't express in words how horrible and how filthy I felt. Have you guys ever had a sin that made you that, feel that bad? Filthy to the point of groaning and saying, man, Lord, I can do this. God, I can do this. But never once recognizing I'm going to let you do this because I can't. And that's how David was with that guilt, that guilt-ridden feeling of knowing those horrible things he has done and carrying them around in his heart prior to asking for forgiveness. That's what he's expressing here. Verse 4, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I'm thinking that the hand of God's discipline rode David all the time, reminding him all the time. You know why this is happening to you? You know why you're being chastened? Do you know why? Thankfully, thankfully the Lord wasn't doing it as a judge would do it with a criminal. He was doing it as a father would do it with his son. He was disciplining him. He was teaching him, come to me. You're going to come to me sooner or later. He felt that hand of God riding him. In the same manner, I would feel my dad's eyes riding me when I'd come home and he knew something that, in my opinion, he wasn't supposed to know. And his attitude that he took toward me, it, it, it rode me like a, like a heavy hand of discipline. And it wears you. It wears you out. Some of you might be there now. The Lord's talking to you. And He chastens only those that He loves. But don't make it into a punishment. Respond. Come to Him. Be born again. His vitality was turning into the drought of summer. I mean, He was literally losing all strength, He's being sapped dry. This verse, with, in conjunction with the next verse, which says, uh, What's just that verse actually? It, it makes me think of people who suffer from ulcers, people who have uh, just everlasting headaches. We attribute most of that stuff to sicknesses. But in my opinion, I'm not a doctor, not at all, but I know how i felt. It's from anxiety. It's from guilt. It's from that not in the pit of your stomach of having unconfessed sin and knowing that the only release is God, but not taking that release. So it wore on him. He dried up. His spirit was empty. His joy was gone. But in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The Lord works with us. He works on us. He works in us. He's constantly prompting us, urging us, cajoling us, disciplining us, loving us to the point where if we're responsive and we lose our pride and understand that we can't do things without him, we will confess our iniquities we will confess our filthiness. And there, just that simple thing of saying, Lord, I know it's you. Lord, forgive me. Lord, make me anew. It changes everything. As we read it, we see that that heart, that man that has just learned to understand God's ways and search for God's ways and be sensitive to God's ways. I believe that's why he's called a man after God's own heart. It's nothing really super spiritual about it. It's just seeing what God wants from us and reacting to it. Having our hearts break for what breaks his. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Apparently, he knew what John speaks about in the Epistle of John, first chapter one, verse nine. What does it say, guys? Does anyone remember? says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. New Testament terminology Old Testament application right? He understood that. All I gotta do is go to my father. Father. All good things come from him. All good things. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters. Everyone who is godly. I would add... Everyone who claims or thinks he is godly, okay, shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the flood of great waters they shall not come near him. That's saying there's a time, there is a moment where it might be too late. The flood of waters might be too overwhelming. Going against the current is a difficult thing. So we need to take David's advice. While he can be found, while he is still urging us and prompting us, we need to react to him. We need to respond to his prompting, to his discipline. He urges us every morning, When we wake up, every morning, his mercies and compassions are renewed. That's what it says in Lamentations 3.22. Every morning, meaning that we have this opportunity all the time. But if we listen to what David's saying, there might come a moment where it's too late. There might come a moment where it's too late. What are we waiting for? Is there something... That could possibly be of more value here in our own lives, in this world, than an eternity with God? I don't think so. Verse 7, you are my hiding place, you shall preserve me from trouble, you shall surround me with songs of deliverance. He's, he's confessing, in you, Lord, all things are good. In you, Lord, I'm taken care of. I will avoid the trouble. But it's got to be in you, Lord. Because think about who, who David is. At that time, he's probably the most powerful man on the earth. Riches beyond belief. The greatest army he's ever known the wisest counselors ever known. And it's come, come down to a you and me, Father. That's what it always comes down to. He's the God of the universe, but he's our personal God. And he speaks with us intimately, specially. How many of you have been here during an altar call where Manny is just pleading with you, begging you, to come forward. I'm not speaking to those of you who have already declared that you're born and gay, that the Lord is your Savior. There are those of us here who are here perhaps just out of curiosity, out of a, a, a feeling of belonging to a place, out of knowing that, oh man, the worship there is so cool. The people there are so cool. Trunk and treat is so cool, right? But you've never taken that step of saying, yes, forgive me, Father, for my sins. Make me new. I want to be born again. And you can be here till you die. If that hasn't happened in your life, that death will be eternal. Think about it. Now uh, the father turns around and answers him and, and talks to him and he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. I imagine... Believe it or not, a crying, sniveling little boy before his father. His father who said, it's okay, mijo, I love you. But listen, follow my direction. Whatever I imply, that's your rule for life. Don't be like a horse. That's got to be directed with a bit and a bridle and reins and even blinders sometimes. Come. Come. Come, because I ask you. Come of your own will. Don't be forced. It's like he's he's got this young man here, and he's showing him all all of life, and he's saying, now walk as I teach you. Verse 10, it says, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright of heart. So at the beginning, I told you, it would anger me to hear people say, David, a man after God's own heart. And I think I'm getting it now. I'm starting to get it. My pride is being driven down. I'm understanding. This is a man that, by the world standards, was the worst of the worst. But be glad that God sees your heart, and when it's a repented heart, it makes all the difference.